0: And as they're going, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here this morning. And Father, thank you for the the privilege it is to gather and lift up your name together to come in the name of Jesus to experience the fellowship of your body and family. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless and be honored in this time. We ask now that you use the message from your word to challenge. and, Lord, I pray uh, that we hear this message, that it wouldn't just be something that entertains us or occupies our minds, but it would be something that we allow to penetrate into our souls and take home and apply in our lives, Lord. I pray that it would make the difference as we walk day to day serving you in this world Father we thank you that you didn't save us and leave us that you provide for our needs you answer prayers we haven't even prayed we thank you that you love us and you have good in store for us that you have shown your love in your Son Jesus. I pray that you would be worshiped in our time today and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you'd turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 John, we're beginning chapter 5. Chapter 5 is kind of the home stretch for this book. And uh, so today, as we kind of start John's wrap-up of this letter to the the church, he's got a message in five short verses. And in these five short verses, he does something that he's done so well in this book that's challenged the heck out of me. And that is that he takes a few very simple straightforward statements that seem easy to understand, but when you start digging in, there's a tremendous depth of meaning and significance behind them. So we're going to take a look at the first five verses of chapter 5. And at the end of this passage, John uses a military term to remind believers that we are engaged in a battle. The battle that we're engaged in is against the world among other things but today's topic is the world. And this battle will be ongoing until Christ returns to rapture his church. But there's good news. The good news at the end of this message is that there is victory in this battle if we Listen and submit to God's word. So it's a powerful message. I'm just curious, did anyone when you woke up this morning hear Reveille? Maybe someone's got it on their phone, I don't know. I didn't. Or as you dressed to get ready for the day, did you consider that today you would be involved in combat? Did that occur to you? Or as you fought the temptation to sleep in or spend the morning somewhere other than here, did you think about facing an enemy whose tactics are rooted in deception and lies? Did any of you struggle to get here on time and employ some much-needed and intense prayer to avoid saying things you really wanted to say out of frustration or in conflict? I bet none of you contemplated turning into your favorite coffee shop or breakfast spot with the thought to avoid the crowds of church today and maybe listen to the message on the church pay- web page later in the day as you reclined on the porch or on the boat or on the beach or maybe even as you go to sleep tonight. Now I say all these things in, with a little tongue in cheek but scripture reminds us that we have an enemy And that enemy, Satan, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. He's crafty. He's a subtle tactician who knows our weaknesses. He knows how to distract us and divert our attention away from the truth, the truth that we are in a daily spiritual battle, daily spiritual combat. When we neglect that idea, it's easy to become complacent. We can drop our guard, and when we neglect the spiritual disciplines that John's been talking about in this letter, we lose our effectiveness in combat, and we give up ground to the enemy That has already been won by Jesus. So, our passage today is a wake up call from John. It's a little bit of reveille. It reminds us that we are in spiritual battle, but it also reminds us that the battle against the world has already been won. So are you interested in winning a few battles with Christ? I am. So cinch up your belt of truth. Take your sword of the Spirit. And let's read the first five verses of 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, as we unfold this roadmap to victory... I want to point out three things from this passage today. The first thing is the destination. The second thing is the route to get to that destination. And the third thing are some hazards along the way that we need to be careful of. So let's begin with the destination. The destination John has mentioned once before in chapter 2, and in verse 15, John tells us not to love the world or the things in the world. And John explained that this, the world is an enemy of the believer. And as we walk with Christ, it will battle against us. The word for world there is a work. A word cosmos, a Greek word cosmos, and in that word, the meaning is a system of the world that comes against God or tries to take the place of God, and so anything in the system of the world that tries to replace or take the place of God or come against God is what this enemy is that John's talking about. He mentions three areas that the world consists of. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions, or your translation may say the boastful pride of life. Now, many of you may be reading the book Spiritual Warfare as I am, uh, that Pastor John's been recommending. This is in preparation for the author Carl Payne, who's coming in September to give us some teaching on the subject of spiritual warfare. And in in his book, Carl identifies that the enemy of the Christian is really a three-legged stool that consists of the world, our flesh, and Satan and demons. And so in as he describes the enemy that we have, the world, he uses some definitions that I think are helpful in understanding the, the subtle differences between the desires of the flesh, the desires of our eyes, and the pride in possessions. So I'm going to share those with you. The desires of the flesh. Carl Payne says... The, the definition of the desires of the flesh are external propositions designed to trigger a response in our mind and our body. And remember that these are all coming either against or in place of God. An external proposition designed to trigger a response in our mind and body. So the desires of the flesh are those things that draw our body and our mind away from God. So this includes food, alcohol, any substance. It can be activities. It can be things that we involve ourselves in that feed our flesh and distract us from walking in and with Jesus Christ. So the desires of the eyes differ just slightly. And Carl's definition of the desires of the eyes is our desire to have beautiful things that we think we need to be content. I love the old saying that Jesus is all you need, but you don't know that until he's all you've got. And scripture tells us we're to be content in Christ alone and in our relationship with him. But the world tells us you just need one more thing. Just like in my gun safe, I only need one more gun. The world tells us that we always need one more beautiful thing to make us happy and content. And they may provide some satisfaction for a while, but it doesn't last. It will disappear. That novelty will wear off, leaving us right back where we were. The things of this world are temporary, and the satisfaction they provide is temporary. So the desires of the eyes, beautiful things that we think we need to be happy. And finally, the pride in possessions, or the boastful pride of life, Carl defines as selfish ambition. Ambition in itself is not bad. We can have ambition to do great things for the Lord. But selfish ambition, an ambition that's designed to promote ourselves, is unhealthy, and competes with our relationship with God. Listen to what James says in chapter 3, verse 16 about ambition. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So the world, our target, if you will, our destination in this mission consists of the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions or the boastful pride of life. Now, I can't help but view this through the lens of my years in the Air Force. And as an intelligence guy, I was trained to assist in planning missions of air attack. And so... We always began with a target, because the target is what was assigned down from higher headquarters. And the target itself determined every aspect of the plan to attack that target. Even down to the aircraft, the weapons, the route, even the terminal profile that was flown to deliver those weapons depended on the target. Similarly, John's writing identified to us some information about this target that totally changes our battle plan. In verse 4, John shares the good news that for followers of Christ, victory over the world is not a future event, but a past one. Look at verse 4. It says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. The, the Greek word that's translated there, has overcome, is a past tense. And it's a past tense that's not something that happened over time. It's a past tense that refers to a single point in time. That point in time was when Christ paid the price of our sins on the cross and rose again from the dead, conquering death and this world. And he offers that victory to us as believers. It's past. It's done. We have victory Today, knowing that we have victory and that Christ has already won the battle against the world changes everything about our outlook, doesn't it? God wants you to know that you have victory over the world. God wants you to wake up every day and understand that. And the amazing thing is it has nothing to do with our skill and ability to navigate to this destination. It's a free gift. Ephesians 2.8 tells us it's by grace. It's, it's free from God. And it's not because like an Air Force pilot, all the effectiveness of that mission depends on his or her ability to navigate and perform the profile of that attack to the detail so that the weapons operate and the aircraft operates as it should to destroy that target. This attack has nothing to do with us or our ability. It doesn't even have to do with what we've done in our mistakes and in our failings. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That death paid the price for all our sins, past, present, and future. So it doesn't depend on our ability. And it reminds me of the old hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He did it. I don't know if you've ever been on a trip with young kids, a multi-day trip in a car, going to a big destination, a destination where the kids get really excited. And the first day you leave, the kids are super excited, and they load and pack the car, and everyone gets in, and you set off on this big journey to this destination. But as the days go on, that excitement may kind of wane. And you know, you look out the window and you get distracted by the things you see along the way. Maybe you read your book or you play a game and you kind of lose sight of the destination. Well, this is much like our walk with Christ. When you're a brand new believer you get that filling of the Holy Spirit and you experience the change the new life in you and you get excited and all you want to do is absorb God's word and then go out and share it with other people so they can experience the same excitement but then as the journey continues we can be drawn away from the attention on that destination We get distracted. We start looking out the windows and not thinking about our destination. But on the last day of the trip, when the kids wake up, they know this is the day where we're going to the beach or to ski or to a theme park. And that excitement returns. Well, that's what John is telling us. You have victory over the world. We ought to wake up every day and remind ourselves that our destination of victory over the world has already arrived. So if you see, if you catch yourself struggling with feeling like the world is winning and you're losing, spend some time with the Lord. Ask him to remind you every day that you have victory as a follower of Christ. Over the world. And then put a big red V on your refrigerator. We have victory. So, our destination. Now, let's look at the route. This passage talks about the route that we give both at the beginning and at the end. Verse 1 says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And the last verse, verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It's the believer who overcomes the world. Jesus said it this way to his disciples in John chapter 15 and verse 19. He's talking directly to them and he says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, listen to this, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Does that explain why we feel sometimes like we're in a battle and the world is against us? Of course it's against us. It hates us. Jesus said, if it hates you, it's because it hated me first. Jesus told us that there would be trouble in following him. He warned us. But the victory over the world is only available to true believers, to those who follow Christ. Why? Because if you have not been chosen and brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, you still belong to the world. And everyone who belongs to the world cannot defeat the world. They are under the control of the God of this world, Satan. So being born of God, as verse 1 mentions. John has mentioned this before in chapter 3, verse 9. He tells us that when we're born of God, God puts his seed in us or his DNA in us. So that new life that's created when we're born again, as Jesus put it to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says you must be born again to be saved. That's a new life. It's a life that God creates, and it comes with a new nature, and in that nature are new desires, different from our old desires. And so that's why John says here that as this new nature is evidenced in our lives by lives, by love for God and love for God's other children, and obedience to God, which is following His commandments, that His commandments are not burdensome. And that word "burdensome means "heavy." It doesn't mean that following Christ is, and obeying his commandments is easy. It's not easy because we have an enemy and the world is against us. But it's not a burden because we have that desire now to serve God and we have the power to do it through his Holy Spirit that's in us. That's why we have victory over the world. And verse 4 gives us an even greater clue to this route that we take to this victory. Look at verse 4. It says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith. We've talked about faith before. And I love what Pastor John always says, your faith is only as good as the object that you put your faith in. And so once again, this passage begins and ends with where we put our faith, and that is in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the object of our faith. But faith doesn't come from us. Faith comes from God. If you want to know more about faith, study the book of Romans. The book both begins and ends with these statements about faith. In Romans 1 verse 5, it says this, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of, Of his name among all the nations. So faith is the key to obedience. It's the fuel for the engine that runs obedience. At the end of Romans, in the last chapter, 16, in verse 26 and 27, it says the same thing. It says, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And when believers put our faith in Christ and demonstrate the evidence of that relationship, it brings glory to God. And in a sense, we're a trophy that sits for all the universe to see. That the character of God is one that saves and loves sinners by sacrificing his only son when we were his enemies, to love us and save us. Not because we earned it, but because of his love. So we've looked at the destination, or the target, to put it in Air Force terms, That is victory over the world. We've looked at the route that we take to get there. That's faith in Jesus Christ, a relationship with him, evidenced by the Holy Spirit and that love that flows out from us to brothers and sisters in Christ and to God by obeying his commands. Now I want to talk to you about some hazards of this mission. The first hazard is apathy. There's plenty of that in the world today. But if you catch yourself saying some of these things, I've got time. It's not important right now. I can deal with it later. Or I need to understand this better, but I'm just not ready to make that step. Or how about this one? Well, you do you, but I've got my own thing. I've got my own thing with Jesus it may not look like yours or if you say I'll get serious about Jesus later I want to remind you that scripture tells us we are not promised tomorrow we're not promised our next breath We're not promised that we will sleep tonight. And we don't know when the Lord will call us each home, when we will face Him to be judged. So don't put it off. As believers, we need to look at the fruit that's coming from our own tree and we need to judge ourselves. The second threat to this mission is what I call FPS. It's frog in the pot syndrome. You know the analogy of the slow heating water that slowly gets hot. And then, and, but by the time you realize it's boiling, it's too late. As we walk with Christ, we need to be careful that we don't allow the world to encroach on the territory that God has purchased on our behalf in this victory. We need to pray and ask God to show us areas of our lives that we have allowed the world to sway and influence how we see things. I challenge you to read the word of God. And to just imagine what it would look like if that were true apart from the rest of the world that you know today. And I bet you, you will come up with a much different picture of how we should be living and spending our time and interacting as we humble ourselves before the Lord and ask him to show us areas in our lives that we need to address. We need to confess and we need to repent. We need to change those things. The next hazard is doubt. Maybe you're saying, well, I just, I just don't feel victorious. Yeah, I know it says I'm a believer, I know I'm a believer, and it says I'm victorious, but I just, I'm pretty beat up today. I just don't feel that victory. Romans 6.11 says this to believers, so you also must consider, some versions say reckon, Reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say if you feel like it. It doesn't say if it looks like it. It says reckon it. So regardless of how you feel, regardless of what it looks like to you, reckon the truth to be the truth. And God's word is truth. So we need to reckon what he says is true to be true. And so if you don't feel like you're victorious, it doesn't matter. You should march forward and act and do those things as if you are victorious. That's what faith is. That's what comes through that relationship and the Holy Spirit living out our relationship. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So you may not feel it. You may not see it. But it doesn't change the fact that it's true. And we need to reckon God's word as truth and march forward. So we've looked at the destination, our target. We've looked at the route to get there through Jesus Christ. And I've talked about some of the hazards. As you're listening to this message And as we come now before the Lord's table, which all Christ's followers are welcome to join. You don't have to be a member. If you're visiting you and you know Christ, you are welcome at the Lord's table. As you've listened to this message, maybe you realize that you have yet to experience that relationship with Jesus. Maybe you realize that you need to make that decision today and I want to pray with you now and give you that opportunity. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we come together as the body of Christ, united by your blood, I pray that if there is anyone here Who does not have a relationship with you, that you speak to their heart right now and call them by name to surrender their lives to you. If that's you and you hear God calling your name right now, I invite you to pray with me this simple prayer Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner who belongs to the world but today I want to change that. I confess my sins to you and ask you to forgive me of all of them. I accept your forgiveness by the blood of Jesus shed for me on the cross. And I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and teach me to follow you with all my heart, soul, and strength. Jesus, be Lord of my life. And lead me on the path you have for my life. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, if anyone prayed that prayer, I ask that you give them the courage today to share with someone the decision they've made, someone that knows Christ. For those here who are followers of Christ, I pray, Lord, That you would bring to our minds anything in our lives that we need to confess to you now as we approach your table. Father, I thank you for your love and forgiveness. And now I ask your blessing on this cup and bread. In Jesus' name, amen.